by the doors one of the songs that just uh, puts me in the mind of Los Angeles every time I hear it you know in fact every time I go to Los Angeles uh, I make a point of going up to someone on the street and saying and what happens invariably is that they look upon me in surprise and then flee with great haste and fear uh, because they just aren't ready for that kind of intensity. Uh, Nick Mackay makes his home in Los Angeles. Uh, and Nick is a writer, actor, producer, a comedian, a sports commentator, um, really a, a five-tool player. Uh, Nick... Uh, is, is a guy that I've been a fan of going back uh, over a quarter of a century. Um, I remember uh, a show on the Comedy Channel uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s called Night After Night with Alan Havey. And when I was about 18 years old, I thought this show was uh, the best thing on television. And uh, Alan Havey is a talented guy, but uh, his sidekick... Who, who was this young buck uh, that uh, was making me laugh so much? Uh, you know, seems this guy's really got a future. And, and for me, the breakout star of the program was, was Nick. And uh, indeed, uh, since then, I've followed his career with a great deal of interest. Uh, you may know Nick as the voice of Salem the Cat on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. He was uh, Elaine's boyfriend on the Smelly Car episode of Seinfeld. Uh, he's uh, written and produced uh, episodes of The King of Queens. He co-wrote the Paul Blart Mall Cop movies with his friend Kevin James. Uh, Nick's just done a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, if you watched uh, uh, ESPN uh, through the years, you, you, you may very well have seen Nick doing his Tale of the Tape. Uh, he's the man who brought Advantage Push uh, into our lexicon, and uh, ju just a guy that uh, uh, can make you laugh, uh, and uh, a, a very, very uh, funny guy, and, and, and a very knowledgeable sports fan, and that's always come through uh, it, you know, when I've seen Nick interviewed and, and have uh, listened to the things that he's had to say, particularly about the National Football League. Um, Nick's a guy that uh, his comedic sensibilities, I think, have always been very much in line with my own ideas of comedy and, and what's funny. And indeed, uh, one of the great moments really for me uh, in Super 70 Sports uh, uh, came when he told me that uh, he, he digs what I do. All right, joining me now on the Super 70s Hotline from Hollywood... The man, the myth, the legend, Nick Bakai. Nick, thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. I'm, uh, I think you know I'm an avid fan of your tweets. And uh, I think uh, 70 Sports is running neck and neck with my other most reliable tweet that I follow. 
which is Florida man. <laughs> the, the, those, the, wow. those are the two. Those are the two that never, never disappoint. I mean, you've reached that level. I, I, I mean, it's a, probably a matter of pride and shame if I can tell you that. But no, it, 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 every time I see something from you. It always gets me every time. I'm a huge fan. Well, thank you. The the uh, the the Florida man to be just in the same sentence with uh, with Florida man might be the nicest thing that anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> I knew you'd get it. <laughs> I mean, flat, flattery flattery will get you everywhere on this on this show. Let me tell you right now. So, I honestly had that thought this morning though when I knew I was going to talk to you. I thought. You know, I can't, I mean, a lot, a lot of us, and me included, we run hot and cold, we can disappoint, we can delight, but uh, you, 70 sports, and, and Florida man, every time, bat in a thousand. Well, now, you, you you know, that puts pressure on me, because there's always going to be a lot of fucked up stuff happening in Florida, so, I mean, I, I gotta, I mean, I can't, like, I, know, I can't fall asleep what? at the wheel here, you know. Yeah, but if anything can match Florida, it's the 1970s. I really think, <laughs> I think you got a shot here. <laughs> well, I do. I do have some material to work with. I mean, that's for sure. Well, I, you know, I I, I got to ask you. You you grew, you of course are a Buffalo guy, uh, born and raised, <laughs> as I understand it. And I was wondering, you know, what what effect does that have? Because I feel I have this you know idea that's not a particularly original theory that if you're a big sports fan. You know, where you're from geographically really does have an impact on your psyche and the sort of the prism that you see sports through. Um, what, what, what effect did it have on you growing up in Buffalo and uh, you know your sports fandom originating from from that particular place in our great nation? Oh yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think everywhere sports fans, if you're not branded by where you're from, you don't have the same experience, you know, and, you know, it's what makes you take sports personally, which is what makes mm -hmm. people crazy and therefore interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, Buffalo is the, everything that you think it is and not what you think it is in terms of it is a wonderful place. And I honestly loved growing up there and I wish I lived there now, you know, it's, it's a grunt of a lot of jokes that are not really. If you have, if you've lived there, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But it, you know, as a sports fan, it is everything you think. It's it's a small enough place, and people in Buffalo, because they have a chip on their shoulder about the city's reputation. Um, there's a lot of civic pride, and a lot of civic pride that's funneled into our sports teams, who have been glorious, but have also, uh, you know, as we say, I guess, because you, you've already been profane once, so I can say <laughs> yes. on the record, our, our team shit the bed like nobody. So, you know, <laughs> we, we've had our hopes dashed and crushed a million times. And, you know, there, there's definitely a Buffalo sports psyche. And it is, you know, um, defiantly proud and embraced for Armageddon at the same time. Well, I know that you're a huge NFL guy, uh, and, I, and I definitely want to talk some NFL with you. But I mean, what about the what about the other the other sports? Because I think of you, you know, obviously I think of your of your professional work, and then I think you know NFL guy, which is which is partly your professional work. So uh, you know, where, where does baseball, basketball, hockey, you know, where, where do they register for you? 
But, you know, and like a Buffalo guy, I mean, since we really, you know, it's a hockey football town, and that's where my passions lie. Um, and I grew up playing hockey and football. And I think, you know, if you talk about what we all connect to sports, how we connect, it's not just where you're from, but it's what you actually played that makes a huge difference. So basketball has never been very relatable to me. Um, and also, I just I like, I like contact sports. I really do, you know. Um, there was never a baseball team in Buffalo, and there's no strong regional affiliation. You know, you'll find fans of all sorts of different teams there. So, um, you know, it, it's definitely hockey and football. Basketball and baseball, you know, it's funny. I used to have to really pay close attention to them when I was doing a high volume of stuff for ESPN. But now that I don't, um, I could not tell you a thing about them. I mean, you know, I am so – part of it is, you know, I got a family and little kids, and I got a lot to do and a lot of work, and I'm grateful for all of it. But, you know, there's a point at which you have to kind of boil your sports time down to what you really care about. Um, I mean, I remember years ago when I was really busy with ESPN, and I used to argue with my wife that I actually said, you have no idea how little sport I watch compared to a true sports fanatic. And I made this, you know, articulate case about it. And then within like three hours, she caught me watching professional lacrosse. <laughs> 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 and I was like, all right, I, I, I have no game. Wow. I'm out, you know, but ESPN but 12. Think, you know. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's up. You talk about Buffalo, though, you know, the, uh, the, the winningest team in Buffalo sports history in terms of championships are the Buffalo Bandits, who are a pro lacrosse team. Wow. So, um, you know, know I can make a case. I can make a case, <laughs> brother. But she had me dead to rights. But those days are long gone, man. I really watch the NFL avidly. I watch the Sabres avidly. But in terms of having sort of the broad overview of sports, uh, the, the, that has left the building for me. Uh, well, I don't think that's uncommon at all. Uh, I can relate. I mean, I for me, it's baseball, basketball, football, but really only at the professional level. I'm one of these uh, sort of detestable uh, March Madness people. You know, I get excited about college basketball for about 15 minutes every year. Yeah, but that's uh, all it deserves. Don't feel bad. <laughs> but, I, but, when, but when I was a kid, I, I, it's astonishing to me when I look back on it now how much I knew in terms of just statistics and facts and players oh. from multiple sports, multiple levels. I, 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 I apparently, you know, I just didn't have much of a life as I as I reflect on it. But but you're right. You get older and you have work obligations and family obligations, and it really sort of forces you to decide. Uh, you know what is what is truly your passion, and because there's just not enough time for all of it. it, it although, as I, as I think about it now, in terms of uh, you know uh, internet and all of the all of the TV packages, I mean, we live in an era now where we're just kind of almost over overwhelmed with it. I, I guess it's. Oh yeah. You know, what do you, I mean, what would you say to like a young person today if you were trying to describe what it was like uh, in our generation back in the 1970s or the early 80s, really before widespread cable, before ESPN or in the very early days of ESPN when uh, we didn't have all of these, this vast array of options to be able to watch uh, sports on television? 
Well, the first thing I'd say is, you know, when was the last time you watched professional bowling, right? <laughs> um, you know, in the 70s when there were three channels, you, you know, you'd watch what they gave you, and sometimes that was bowling. It was certainly better than doing your homework, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, you know, it's weird. It's a very interesting reality because, you know, I now work in TV, and, I, you know, I work on a network TV show, and back in the 70s, what the audience for that show would be would be even if we were a dud we'd have more people watching than probably any show on tv currently you know mm -hmm. um it's just because the audience has been parsed by a million options uh but back then um you know what's interesting is that since you didn't have choice on the level you do now you ended up watching things that you would not have chosen and there's good and bad to that. I mean, obviously, it's better to have every option in the world. But, you know, I think about, you know, how many movies, how many weird things I watched on TV because it was the only thing on, you know, and and how much I got out of watching those things. And, and now with all these options and, you know, we all, if you got a, a dish or cable, you got, you know, a thousand channels, literally, and... There are times where there's nothing to watch because you know the power of choice can really corrupt the watching factor. You know that feeling that whatever I'm watching, there's probably something better on somewhere else. Um, I don't know. You know, you don't commit to what you're watching. It's the same thing. I could not love my DVR more, but um, you know the ability to sort of fast forward and jump around. It's a whole new experience as a viewer. I've got little boys. I got a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. And I already can see how their relationship with media, with watching movies, TV shows, anything related to an iPad, um, is a completely different interaction than the one I had. And there's good and bad to all of it. I think we lose uh, some of the shared experience. I think that's one of the unfortunate things in a way is, you're right. I mean, back I in the, agree with that. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. You know, if you grew up with like the local library for the Million Dollar Weekend movie, well, the weird thing was everybody watched the same damn movie and talked about it the next day, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember being in Vegas and talking to a blackjack dealer who'd been there forever. And <laughs> he was saying, you know, it's really funny, you know, back when uh, you know he first moved there, there was one movie on at night that was on the local affiliate for some, one of the local affiliates. And, you know, they'd all, well, I'm driving, I almost killed myself, but it was worth it. I'm talking to you. <laughs> wow, um, this podcast could really go down in history. Yeah, I know, I know. His, his final <laughs> frantic words, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. This, this podcast could get almost earned one snide remark on Deadspin. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> uh, no, you know, and he said everybody, all the guys go to work the next day and talk about the movie. Did you see the movie last night? Yeah, shared experience is a big deal. Yeah, it, it is. I, you know, I, I'm a college professor, and I was talking to some of my students recently about, you know, what's your favorite TV show? And, you know, you hear, you know, 17 different things, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, I've heard of that, but I'm only vaguely aware of what it is. Uh, some shows, yeah. I, some shows I've never even heard of, and it's almost like we're just we're swamped. It's it, you, you can't can you can't begin to consume it all. There's just so much. 
uh, stuff. How does that affect what you do? I, you know, I told myself that we were going to talk about sports, and we'll, we'll seg back to that. But in terms yeah. of in terms of your your. Uh, uh, your work with uh, uh, television, how does that affect the mark that you're trying to hit with with, uh, with the nature of the content of your program and so on and so forth when you know that, uh, you know, it's not just, it's not, you know, 40 years ago and there are three channels. You've, I would think that you have to be a lot more specific in certain ways in terms of how you're, uh, how you're angling to, to find an audience for your show. Well, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, the, the hardest thing right now is to jump off this enormous, for a new show to get eyeballs and to jump off the stack of a million options is the hardest thing. And part of it is still kind of organic. You know, it's like you've got to have a premise and, you know, it really helps also if you if it's something that you cast that you get people involved that have people, have following that have, you know, Oh, I love that. Per- I love that actor. I would like to see what they're up to. Um, so it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, I, I work on a show right now, a CBS show called Mom, and it's had a lot of things that it has benefited from. We're in our third season, and um, you know, it's it's produced and created by Chuck Lorre, who is you know a force and. Therefore, any project he's involved with in the multi-camp sitcom business is going to get full attention from and, and, the, and, and the right kind of Tiffany setting from the network. We also have Allison Janney and Anna Ferris, who are really, really wonderful actresses with, I think, significant followings. And so, and we took on a premise that's a little bit unusual, and you know that can work both directions. In this case, fortunately, it worked for us, but. Um, you know, it's a, a comedy about recovery, but it's it's just really about you know it, it's it's more relatable than you have to be in recovery to dig it. But um, it's sort of that's what the show's pitched its tent on, and it's worked. But it just made me all the more aware because we've been fortunate of how hard it is for the stuff to stick to the wall now. You know, I mean, boy, um, the shows just come and go now. There's no you know, I was listening to Jerry Seinfeld being interviewed recently, and, you know, Seinfeld took a long time to actually find its audience, and then, you know, became the stuff of legend. But it's easy to forget that in this, in today's, I guess, today's network context, I don't know that that's a show that would have gotten that many at bats to find its groove. Right. So it's a little bit. It's weird now. It's really weird. It's, you know, if we could figure out exactly how to do it, we'd be a lot richer than we are. <laughs> well, you, I have to thank you because, uh, I mean, she may have dropped me by now. I don't know. I haven't checked lately. But Anna Ferris follows Super 70 Sports, or at least did at one time. Oh, uh, that's awesome. So yeah, so I uh, that impressed my uh, that impressed my uh, children. So, <laughs> so I, oh yeah, I'm not surprised. She, she likes sports. She's, she knows her she knows her sports, and, and she's got a great sense of humor. Uh, that's really funny. I will actually mention that to her at work. 
Yeah, please do. Send her my uh, regards. Uh, I will. So let, let me ask you, um, one thing here I, I, I want to mention is you were talking about how we just, we watched what was on, and if it was Chris Schenkel and, uh, yeah. you know, we're, we're watching the finals of the, you know, the greater Milwaukee, uh, you know, bowling open or whatever, uh, then, you know, that was actually pretty good TV. Uh, what did you think of the made-for-TV stuff, Battle of the Network stars? Uh, the Superstars is another one uh, from the weekends. You know, where else are you going to, you know, have the, the opportunity to watch, uh, you know, Smoking Joe Frazier, you know, <laughs> play tennis or, or whatever. Uh, what, what do you think of those, those kinds of shows? Because I would be a big fan of bringing back Battle of the Network stars and uh, ABC's The Superstars. Oh, I loved it. It was great to see. So they were, you know, they, they were everything great about 70s TV because they were these weird premises and they were, you know, su such fabulously awful ideas that they were riveting. Um, it's really interesting. I was recently, I remember reading Jim Brown's autobiography and there was one part in it, you know, long after his playing career where he was on shoot, I don't know if it, was, it must have been Superstars, and it, <laughs> we're back to bowling again, which I can't <laughs> believe, but he and Jim Taylor, the great Green Bay Packer running back, were paired up against two other athletes in a bowling contest, and the thing I loved about it was, uh, Jim Brown said, and you know, I talked to Jim Taylor, and we were both at a point in our lives where if, you, if they won the match, they got a cash bonus and they both they both needed it which i love because you know we're not, we're not in that era well, i mean guys blow 100 million now but you know what i mean right. if you're not Travis Henry, you probably don't need it and uh you know so the needed part is missing even if you did it now i think that's the problem but i love i love the idea of jim brown and jim taylor you know putting their heads together and said come on fucker we gotta get this you know um <laughs> So that, that's that's great TV, right? That's television right there, you know. And I I wonder who was standing between them and the money, you know. It was probably. Yeah, I wish I could remember, you know. It's probably, you know, geez, I'm trying to think of some good '70s sports, you know. <laughs> it was like Bob Love and Bobby Rick. <laughs> right. Hell no. Right. <laughs> and they need, and they needed it just as badly, you know. <laughs> oh hell yeah! Right. It's a showdown. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so let me. I gotta ask you about OJ. You know, because I'm thinking Buffalo. You're growing up. You know, when OJ uh, ran for 2,000 yards, you were probably, I'm guessing, 13 or 14 years old, something like that. Uh, what did OJ mean to you at that time? Because he was the he was the greatest athlete in your city, and you know, probably at that time, the best player in the NFL. Oh, he was everything. You know, I mean, uh, the, the 70s in Buffalo is, you know, was a real nadir for the city because it's always been a tough place for the tough economy. But in the 70s, like three or four of the biggest employers in the city either closed up shop or moved to right-to-work states. So it was a really devastating time and hard times, you know, and, and uh, in the midst of all of that, we had this, we had Ochi, who was, you know, not only our superstar, but he was the world superstar. And, you know, 
as a kid, you're absolutely right. I wa- I watched every yard when he gained 2,003 yards in a 14-game season, which is often overlooked. No one else has done it 14, you know. Um, so he was everything. He was, you know, we had this this glamorous, amazing superstar living and playing in Buffalo. So he was a, there was a lot of pride in that, and he was beloved. And so, you know, cut to the crime of the century, and we go back to the psyche of the Buffalo sports fan. It's like, you've got to be kidding. You know, we, we lose four consecutive Super Bowls, right? And you think, okay, well, the gut punches are over. Oh, no, O.J., you know, he, he killed his wife and a waiter. Great. Couldn't have been Earl Campbell, as I always say. No, no, had to, had to be our guy, you know. So, um, but, no, you know, it, it's a terribly conflicted feeling because, you know, you're right. I was right in that, you know, 12-year-old range at the time. And but your heroes at that age imprint on you in a way that's just different. You know, it, it, it's different. The guys who you can meet and be amazed by people all the rest of your life. But it's, you know, when I met people like Joe Frazier and, and iconic people from that era, and we're talking about your sweet spot the 70s, um, that's when I found myself a little dumbstruck, you know. Um, so O.J., you know, O.J. is a very conflicted situation for my generation of Buffalo sports fans. I had a classic moment where I was... Um, I went. There's a public golf course in LA, Rancho, where I went to hit some balls one day. You know, maybe a couple of years after the trial, and and, and um, I I was walking back to my car, and there's an area where you can park in this kind of cul-de-sac right near the driving range, or else you got to walk in front of you. And this big black dot Yukon comes cruising by, trolling for a spot comes by me, the window goes down, I look inside, it's O.J. You know, this is a couple of years after the trial, and he says, did you park near here? And all of a sudden, I don't care what's happened in the, in the century we live in, I'm 12 again, and I say, no, I didn't, but I'm from Buffalo, and I saw every yard of 2003, and he lit up like you're the first person who's been nice to me in two years, you know. And and he said, and the best part was he went, hey, Buffalo, talking proud. And you have to understand that in the 70s, when everything in Buffalo was circling the drain, they had this really pathetic local civic pride TV campaign called Talking Proud. And there was this sort of weird chick prancing around Buffalo in these bell bottoms going, Buffalo's got a feeling, talking proud, talking proud. You know, it's like, no, we're not. We're dying. It was just, it was, you know, just a, that was OJ's way of connecting with me. Talking proud, brother. That was your moment. And I was like, oh my, oh my God. And I'm really, I'm having an out of body experience. And he says, Do you play here often? And that's the moment where I realized I can play golf with OJ for the rest of my life every weekend here, you know? <laughs> and then my adult self, I was very, very busy with ESPN at the time. And my adult self tapped me on the shoulder and said, You know, you're never going to pull this off. And I just, you know, I kind of went, Nah, no. And I walked away and I was so, so upset and Kathy pulled in all directions, um, you know. And then I remember coming home that night, and I was upset. I was telling my wife the story, and she was like, really, really there for me and really concerned. And then she realized who I was talking about and realized this was O.J., and I'm a <laughs> Buffalo kid who, 
And yeah. she, she just said that this look came across her face and she said, please just tell me he's not coming to dinner. Listen, <laughs> 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 no, no, you're okay. So, I mean, uh, 18, rough, just brother. 18, Nick. You just needed to play 18 with him, that's all. I know, I know. And imagine all the stories I could have heard about, you know, Lou Saban. And, uh, <laughs> right. You know, he would have been Al thrilled. Braxton. You could have become. Oh, I know. I you know. could have gotten in the inner circle, man. He was looking for any. He was looking something. for anybody who would. He was looking for acceptance. <laughs> you well, it's really funny because you know we all have those damn time machine moments, and that's one of them for me. I'm like, what the fuck was I protecting? <laughs> you know, I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, I. You know, I had a lot of adventures working in sports, but. That might have been the grand adventure, and I missed the ride. You never know. <laughs> That's it. You know, he'd already reached his quota. He he wasn't going to kill anybody else. You no, know? no, no. That would have that would have been too nice and respectful. <laughs> that was behind him. Uh, well, let me let me wrap up here with you by talking about the Super Bowls, which. You know, it seems like that's a sad note to end on, but probably based on uh, the experiences that you've told me of growing, uh, growing up in Buffalo, it's probably only appropriate uh, that we talk about that. Um, oh, for four in a row, and yet come up short every time. And, and, and all these years later, Marv Levy still seems like the most centered cat on the planet. He just yeah he does doesn't he yeah I mean how do you how do you and, and Jim Kelly who uh, who it seems like has come through his cancer battle in good shape I mean which is great to see but um, you know how do you how do you look back on those years now removed you know almost a quarter century from that is it is it affection or is there is there still a little bit of you know God damn it Norwood <laughs> you, you know uh, straighten that kick out you know, it's it's definitely affection, and I think that's generally true for Bills fans. Um, you know, if you're my age, you know, you have to understand the context. I They were so mediocre to awful for so many years. I mean, you talk about 1970s sports. We lost the entire decade to the Dolphins and Don Shula. We played twice a year. We lost everyone, you know, so... We were not a good football team, not a good organization. And the, the, the idea that we would even make it to a Super Bowl seemed impossible. So I was so thrilled they went. I was hugely disappointed. And, you know, but the problem is that Norwood kick, that's the one we were in. That's the game we could have won. The, the next three are just humiliations, you know. But. You know, even at the time, I realized what an amazing thing it was for these guys to get their four in a row. No one will ever do that again for a variety of reasons. And the thing that I think people overlook a lot is that if you play four consecutive years of regular season and enough postseason games to make four straight Super Bowls, physically, as a football player, you're playing five seasons in four years. That is a beating that mere mortals can't comprehend, you know? Um, that's an amazing thing. So, and you know, they're all ending up, they're all landing in the Hall of Fame, all the key guys. So, they're getting their due. And I think that they remain a source of love and pride in Buffalo, absolutely. Um, and you know, for me, it's really interesting because it was kind of, that was the crescendo of my, you know, my sports passion, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. It's really been kind of a, I've had diminishing returns ever since then. And part of it is that 
the Bills have been very, very boring and very mediocre for this long, long span since then. Um, but also, you know, I, I, I'm at that point where I've covered this stuff, I've been around it, and I've been around life enough that um, it's very hard for me to stay naive as a sports fan anymore. And, you know, I, I, I do understand now, unfortunately, that this stuff is just big business. I mean, you know, we're very lucky in Buffalo right now because we have a massively wealthy guy, Terry Pagula, who bought both teams and is rich enough to only want to win. So we're, I think, and hope entering a golden era for Buffalo sports. We certainly aren't going to be able to fault the owner. We're not going to be able to fault the, the machine. And I'm very excited about that. But in the meantime, in the subsequent, you know, geez, 20 years, um, I've just come to see all sports through the lens of 95% of the guys who own these teams, they're just businessmen. They have enough money to buy a team because they're like Stan Kroenke, you know. They're just these heartless dollar grubbers, you know. Um, so it's really muted my desire to be 100% passionate about sports. I'll chase an interesting story anywhere it wants to take me. But, you know, blind faith and, and, and believing that, you know, you're, you're, you know, you got to put your heart and soul and every, all of your feelings into this organization and this team. Um, you got to be very careful. You got to pick and choose. You're very, you know, I think you're in good hands if you're a Steeler fan. Uh, I don't think you're in good hands if you're a Ram fan. You know, I could go on and on. But you should really take a minute. You know, i got these little boys now. My wife often says to me, you be careful about making them Buffalo fans. That's child abuse. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I, I, I think they're in good hands now. But she had a case before the Pagulas came along. And I really, um, I think, you know, Choose your teams wisely because most of these things are just, you know, they're just wringing dollars out of you. And, I, you know, as jaded as that sounds, it's what I see. Very, very well said and a lot of truth in that. I, uh, The point that you made about playing five seasons in, in four seasons, I think, is something that um, is, is actually it's a, a really great observation. And it makes me think, uh, where do you see the NFL going? I mean, as a passionate NFL guy, I'll leave you with this question. Where do you see the NFL going is, is they try harder and harder to – uh, deal with this concussion, you know, the knowledge that we now have about long-term effects of brain injuries. Uh, where is the NFL going to be if you look into your crystal ball 20, 30 years from now? Can it, can it survive? You know, it's a really good question. I mean, it's certainly, it's the alpha game by a country mile. Um, the thing that makes me wonder about whether that's sustainable the concussion issue is, you know, it's a real concern because we're watching these guys, you know, theoretically get, uh, you know, really, really damaged for the rest of their lives as we watch them play. And I, I'm sure anybody who played high school football, you watch the way NFL players connect and make contact in this day and age, and it's just astonishing. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's, I don't know how these guys get up after one play sometimes. And, uh, but, you know, really, I think that the NFL's vulnerability is in its arrogance, um, which is so front and center on so many levels. Um, you know, player safety never was 
you know, look, I know, you know mixed martial arts is eclipsed boxing. Um, you don't hear anybody talking about player safety there. There's a there's a thirst for violence. It's never going to. That's not going to be the game's downfall. It may make us feel guilty. It may make us feel bad about enjoying it. But there's there's an audience. There's a need for it in human beings. I think the NFL's arrogance is its Achilles' heel because, jeez, um, uh, they just they, they just use and abuse everyone. They use and abuse cities, fans, um, players, networks, all of their business partners. Um, so you know, you know, look, there was a time when baseball was. The king of the heap, and it was inconceivable that any sport would ever topple it as the national pastime. Well, you know, it, it can happen to anything then, you know. And um, I'm not saying football is going down, but I do think that, you know, boy, they, there needs to be a little bit more philosophy involved right now um, than just the art of the deal. And that's all they are. Um, and you know, it's, it's to me, it's very alienating. So, um, you know, and, and it's so damn expensive. You know, um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I haven't been to a game in ten years myself because it's just so daggone Nobody expensive. Has. Yeah, and, and the television experience is so much better anyway. But uh, yeah, and, and you know, power to that. But boy, it's you know, I mean, going to a game, buying a jersey. I mean, it just makes you want to throw up everything. You know. Very true. I was watching. So I was watching. Uh, I was watching this documentary on Tupac Shakur the other night, and this rapper is talking about him. He's got his cap turned around backwards, and you know, <clears throat> there's an NFL logo on the back. You don't even know what team it is, um, and it's greeked out with a piece of electrician's tape so that you can't see the logo. Right. And I remember thinking, you know. This fucker bought that hat. You know, you know, he's not allowed to show the logo on. You know, right. that's the kind of shit that I I see that and I go, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You know, it's nothing, but it's everything. Right, right. Says a lot. Says a lot. Well, the show is Mom on CBS Thursdays yep. at uh, nine Eastern, eight Central. I believe. Yes, sir. So uh, tune in. Yeah, check, check that it out. out. We, it's, it's a funny damn show. I promise you will enjoy it. Um, right. We got two of the best actresses on the planet, and uh, it's got a little bit of heart. It's not just your typical multicam frivolity, but I promise you we deliver the funny. You give it a shot. It's a great show. I'm very proud to be a part of it. Well, I have no doubt about it, Nick. You've been delivering funny for uh, a long time now, and uh, this show, no exception to that. Appreciate you coming on. You've got an open invitation, my friend. Anytime. I would love to have you back on. Alright. Do me a favor. Do me a favor. One time this week, tweet me Frenchie Fuqua's Shoes with the fish in them from the seventies. <laughs> All right, man. I'll uh, I'll go on a uh, little uh, fishing expedition, if you will, to find that. And if I can find it, it's, if it, it's coming up, and I'll, I'll I'll post it up there with a little shout out to you. Sweet, I love it. Keep up the great work. I'm a huge fan. All right, buddy, and uh, a fan of yours as well. And uh, good health to you. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Thanks. All right, take care. So big thanks to Nick Bakai for coming on the podcast today. Uh, just a very nice guy and a very, very funny man. Uh, what did we learn today? I think as I reflect back upon Nick's meeting with O.J. Simpson there in the golf course parking lot, I, I think that we learned that 
if you don't if you don't go for it maybe you miss out if Nick ask OJ if he can get in and play some golf with him that day perhaps they play 18 holes and Nick has a bunch of really funny stories to tell his friends and uh, it just turns out maybe he becomes a member of OJ's inner circle uh, or perhaps Nick winds up dismembered right there in the parking lot so when you when, when you weigh A and B, um, I, I'm going to say Nick made the right decision. Uh, enjoy your uh, enjoy your brief interlude and then get the hell out of there with your life, man. Uh, my guest next week is Dan Epstein, journalist and author and 1970s baseball savant. Uh, Dan is the author of Big Hair and Plastic Grass as well as the follow-up Stars and Strikes. Both of those books fantastic stars and strikes is actually out in paperback now i would encourage you to to grab a copy of that if you haven't already a tremendous book looking forward to speaking with dan next week uh, and sort of get your uh, motor running for baseball season uh, a little bit and uh, i would just also like to remind everybody that uh, buffalo uh, is indeed talking proud uh -oh.